dangerous period at the moment. It's seen repeated terror attacks, all that instability after the attempted coup with the purges and tens of thousands of people dismissed or, or, or um, in jail. It's got a faltering economy with economic concerns on the horizon. So, you know, it's not a done deal. If he loses that referendum, that would be really a big slap in the face. And the opposition will paint this as, a, as the last chance, really, to rein in Mr. Erdogan before he enshrines what they call dictatorship. Uh, but he is, he is hopeful and he's got a big support base behind him. So it'll be a very interesting few months going ahead if, if indeed it happens. The BBC's Turkey correspondent Mark Lowen in Istanbul. So what does Mr Erdogan's AK party have to say to that concern that these changes will create in effect a new Turkish sultan or omnipotent ruler? Egemen Bayish is a former government minister and a senior AK party member. Is there a danger that the constitutional changes will strengthen the president at the cost of weakening the other organs of state? The parliament will be stronger with the new system because the legislative branch and the executive branch will be separated and there will be real checks and balances on each other. Currently, a member of parliament can be a minister and can be a member of both bodies, both the legislative government and the executive government at the same time, and that creates a lot of conflict. Turkish Republic is a 93-year-old country, and we are governed by the 65th government, which means the average life cycle of a government has been less than a year and a half. That is not stable. In order for a government to perform their promises on the election campaign, they have to serve at least four or five years. This system will ensure that an elected president with his team will be able to deliver on his promises, and if he does well, he will be re-elected. And if he doesn't do well, people of Turkey will have the right to choose another leader to lead the country. Why do you think, if your argument is that this is going to increase the power of parliament, that the leader of the biggest opposition party says they are trying to turn the democratic parliamentary regime into a totalitarian regime? Well, he's just trying to exploit the situation to gain some respect from the public, which has not been paying much attention to him. Since he came to power, he has no political victory. He has lost more than seven consecutive elections, and he chooses not to lead the, lead the leadership of his own party. So he is the real totalitarian in the system right now. If you look at the trend right now, most of the global powers who are prosperous are governed with a strong decision-making process and stability. When you look at UK, when you look at US, when you look at Russia, when you look at other strong countries, you see a clear line of command and clear responsibilities of division. And that's what you need. It's interesting to hear you use Russia as an example of good practice. Uh, there will be a lot of people listening who will say the problem with Russia, as with Turkey right now, is that you don't have the other functioning checks and balances of a democracy in terms of a press that's entirely free, in terms of a judiciary that's entirely free, in terms of a political process that seems to do anything other than service the demands of the person at the top. I use Russia as an example of prosperity and clear line of distribution of responsibility. I'm not arguing Russia's democracy is any better or worse than any other country.
That was Egerman Baish, a senior member of the AK Party, talking to me from Turkey. A scandal over a botched green energy scheme in a province of the United Kingdom has sparked a high-profile resignation. Why, you may wonder, is that global news? Because the province is Northern Ireland, for decades a byword for vicious sectarian violence between Protestants and Catholics. And the man who's resigned as Deputy First Minister is Martin McGuinness, the most senior politician from the Irish Republican movement in Northern Ireland. He said he was protesting over the way that the First Minister, Arlene Foster, handled a renewable energy scheme, which might end up costing taxpayers about $600 million. Under the power-sharing scheme which brought those years of bloodshed to a close, Ms Foster from the Democratic Unionist Party, which campaigns to keep Northern Ireland part of the United Kingdom, shares power with the Irish Republicans. Martin McGuinness and Martin.